Today on the Zabecast, day two fallout of the Bayou Screwjob. Andy Pollan joins me to discuss the latest Dan Snyder power move. We talk college basketball. There's a girl version of Big League Chew and the epic Adrian Broner loser's interview with Jim Gray. More me for free is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Let's get right into it. Man, I got a lot of feedback from you people about Sunday's game, so let me get through as much as I can as quick as I can. Uh, Ted Nielsen says in an email, to the only amateur kicker I know of, Zabe, how in the hell does one hit a kick that clearly appears to be a butter cut and then turns over into a draw an eight-yard draw once it's midair. Seems like it would have to be one way or the other. Of course, I'm referring to the game tying kick in regulation by Greg DeLeg Zerline. Love the podcast from South Jersey. Let me know if you ever want to play around in Medford. Thank you, Ted. I would uh, love to play with you. I have more golf invites than I can take advantage of, but I will try to take up as many of you as I can in 2019. Yeah, that ball by Greg Zerline, it looked, it, it was cutting. It was right on the right upright, and it starts cutting, and you're like, holy shit, he missed it. And then midair, it just starts going left again. That was something I, if I get with Dustin Hopkins again, the Redskins kicker, I'll ask him, how come balls sometimes are two-way balls in the NFL? In golf, you can go to the driving range and get a ball that's got one side that's kind of worn, perhaps, because of heavy use, and it'll fly funny in air. I think these kickers, they kick the shit out of the football. And therefore, depending on how it wobbles and depending on where they strike it, do they catch it on the seam? Do they catch it on a panel? It can move both ways. But that one, it looked like for Saints fans, we're going to win. This thing is going left. This one from PJ Kendall. Zabe, greetings from Ramstein Air Base in Germany where I may have been the first to listen to your post-title game podcast. And though I'm not anti-replay, I agree with your stances regarding fairness and perfection. I also love the term fairies that you use. A couple of thoughts crossed my mind, though, while watching the games. First, Fox kept showing Todd Gurley on the sidelines, and the commentator seemed to be baffled as to why he wasn't in. Why, if only they had someone, a reporter perhaps, stationed on the sideline itself... Who could get to the bottom of Gurley's prolonged absence? Oh, wait, they had two sideline reporters. What on earth is the point of having these rubes down there if they can't get answers to the questions we are all asking? Great question. The answer is sideline reporters have limited access to the sidelines themselves. And they can't walk between certain areas and they can't ask questions. It'd be great if a sideline reporter could just mingle freely with a team and overhear conversations and listen in and ask questions to the backup left tackle. Hey, how come that play didn't work? And then have him give you an answer. But no, we we can't have that. We don't have that. Bob Prost writes in regarding thermodynamics. Steve, per your question yesterday about the second law of thermodynamics, you're correct. Energy cannot be created or destroyed, just moved around. Sincerely, Bob Prost, Ph.D. in biophysics, 1999. Love it when biophysicists email the show. So whenever you hear some uh, noob, uh, not noob, but whenever you hear some dweeb say, you know, that, that call cost millions of dollars. Yeah, second law of thermodynamics. It didn't create millions of dollars. It didn't cost millions of dollars. It just moved millions of dollars around from one side to the other. This a comment on Zabe.com. You can leave comments on the website as well. Jefferson writes to say, I'm a huge Saints fan, and I couldn't agree with you more on your comments about Sean Payton being a little bitch. His biggest problem as head coach is he is too emotional. Once that play happened, I was pissed. But I told my wife that Peyton needs to move on from that bullshit non-call and win the game. Of course he didn't. 
and they lost the game. I have seen him, Zabe, lose close games before because he lets his emotions get the best of him and can't move on from a bad call. Oh, well, maybe next year it could be worse. I could be a Redskin fan. Well, that was a cheap shot. You're right. It could be worse. I am not anti-Saint. I really am not. I I, I think they party a bit too much. Um, Sean Payton, I think, is a bitch. Although he's aggressive, and I guess he's fun to watch. And I I do feel badly for New Orleans to a certain degree. I, be, I feel badly for the fans. How about that? Like, I have no sympathy for the team itself. Fuck you. You lost the game. You had plenty of chances to win it. Sit in it. Soak in it. Eat it. I don't want to hear your bitching. For the fans, though, I feel bad. Because you should have won that game. You deserve better. Mar- Mario Zengala writes to say, Zay, maybe I'm way off on this, but my mindset regarding missed calls is simply fuck them. Seriously, if a referee misses a holding call on Kerrigan, which seems like they do all the time, they've always got his arm around his neck, or a pass interference on Doxon, like the one at the end of the game against the Texans, yep, that was one. I just basically shrug and go, well, don't leave it up to the officials to win the game. You had ample opportunity to take care of your shit during the rest of the game. Conversely, I go crazy when the referee throws a flag on a phantom penalty. Better a 1,000 PIs not get called than one phantom call that penalizes an innocent player. Interesting. I guess that would be sort of like our system of justice. Better to let 10 innocent men, better to let 10 guilty men go free than put one innocent man in jail. This one, uh, e- email. Hey, Zabe, do you remember back in the, like, the early 2000s saying a line that was pretty much along the lines of, quote, Steve Spurrier is so far inside the head of Philip Fulmer that he can read the Denny's menu from there. I don't remember that. Excuse me. I'm like 95% positive it was you, and that was the line that got me hooked on you, Zabe. Anyway... If I feel like a redux is in order of that line with Belichick and Reed, not that Reed really got out coached in this game, but something, something, I don't know. Don't like it. Don't let facts get in the way of a good joke or story. Bill Belichick is so far up Andy Reed's ass. He can read the, the Denny's menu from there. I don't remember saying that, but you know me. I don't remember a lot of things. Paul Corbel, Cor- Corbile in North Royalton, Ohio. Email Zabe, if you ask me, that play yesterday should have resulted in not just Alberto Riveron calling Sean Payton to admit the mistake, but also Riveron stating it was such a bad non-call that, quote, my next call is to the official to fire him. See, careful what you wish for. Do you want NFL referees in mortal fear of losing their job at the highest level after working 30 years to climb the ranks to finally make it to the NFL, do you really want them to carry that with them if they blow a call? I know. You're going to say fuck them. They can't miss a call that bad. They should be in fear just like the players are. We'll get other referees. I don't think that would be the best thing. There has to be some reasonable understanding that there will be mistakes. Sean Roberts says, Zabe, uh, I listened to your podcast from today, but... If your message is to get over it, my response is to uh, F you. And by the way, the optics of the league are really bad given this. And he sends me a picture, allegedly, of referee Phil McKinley, who allegedly was there on that non-call. And Phil McKinley played for the Los Angeles Rams back in the day. They also point out the side judge lives in L.A. uh, Something else, the back judge is from near Los Angeles. I already got someone emailing saying, nope, wrong black ref. See, I've already said, I don't even know if I believe this is true. It's just a picture on the internet, and these things are often wrong. Plus, even if they assigned a guy who used to play for the Rams back when they lived in L.A., before they moved to St. Louis years and years ago, how do we know that uh, Phil McKinley doesn't hold a grudge against the Rams? And that, you know, that would have worked in favor of the Saints because maybe the Rams cut him. He's like, ah, oh, I'm going to get my revenge this weekend. I can't wait. Albert Mazika in Tucson. Zabe Colts lose in overtime after a game-tying field goal attempt by the Packers. Don Chandler was called good once upon a time. 
Film shows the kick was wide left. Chandler thought he missed it too. Packers go on to win the first of three straight NFL titles in overtime back in the 60s. Goalposts were raised from 10 feet high to its current 20 feet. That'd be the uh, uprights uh, to 20 feet. Shit happens. That's the bottom line, Albert and Tucson. Thank you for that. Web comment from Paul Reese. Zabe, did you make money on the Rams? I ask this since everyone that feels that the P.I. non-call in the Saints-Rams game affected the outcome as a, quote, bitch, and that the play was just a simple human error, or that there was no clear or convincing evidence there was any P.I. at all. You are cool, calm, and collected about it. It was just one play, no big deal, didn't have any more effect on the game than any other play in the game. Sounds like someone that made money because of the non-call and non-game affecting play. Well, I would never let my gambling affect my commentary, which is my gold standard here on the Zabecast. Yeah, I made 50 bucks. So what the... What's that? Yeah, I made 50 bucks. I think that You think that's going to sway my takes on this? Maybe it did. Maybe if I had $1,000 on the Saints, then the entire Zabecast would have been spent bitching about it. One more thing on the refereeing, and then we're done, I swear, at least for now. Guess who was most upset that Bill Vinovich was even doing the game in the first place? Rams fans. That's right. Rams fans before the game got a petition going saying they don't want Vinovich doing the game because they were convinced he had it out for them. Rams had gone 0-8 and Bill Vinovich refereed games since 2012. Well, a lot of that is Jeff Fisher bullshit, you know. That 8-8 and bullshit that Jeff Fisher said he wasn't going to put up with. Also, the Rams have been hit with more penalty yardage in seven of those eight games, ref by Bill Vinovich. Needless to say, the petition went nowhere. Vinovich still refereed the game, and it turned out pretty well for Rams fans. Now, some would say, could that have swayed Vinovich to swallow his whistle? It wasn't Vinovich's call. That was not his responsibility for the flat receiver in a PI situation. Before we get to Andy Paul and his thoughts on the weekend, Mike Francesa is on fire. This is just fantastic. I got some audio here to play that I guarantee you you're going to love. First of all, Francesa, before the games on Friday, threw out he liked the Chiefs. Well, he didn't like the Chiefs. He was going to bet the Chiefs because he's hoping the Chiefs because he's sick of the Patriots even though, well, it sounds like he gave out both sides, which means maybe he's finally getting how to do this thing in terms of not losing. My games. heart, my heart is with Kansas City. It really is. You know that? And because my of that, heart. it doesn't matter. My record stinks this year anyway, so I'm just going to pick the Chiefs. I would pick the Pats. You put it- Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So this is his pick. This is his, I've reviewed the matchup. I, this is my best effort. Nah. nah. My, my record stinks, so whatever. In my head, I picked the Pats plus three. I'm going to pick the Chiefs because it doesn't make a difference anyway. I don't care if I go one on one or two on one. It doesn't make any difference to me. I had a bad year anyway. So I'm going to pick the Chiefs and pray they win because I really want them to be in the Super Bowl. I really do. You know that? So, uh, and I'm due to go 2 and 0 on a week because I haven't had a good year. So I, that's why I'm going <laughs> to hope I can push the Chiefs over. Narrator. Instead. Francesa went 0 and 2. Top this week. Give me Kansas City in a high scoring game by four. KC minus three. So I'm going to take both home teams. I really like the Saints. In the other game, you put a gun to my head, I take the, uh, the Pats. I think it's a toss up, but I'm going to pick the Chiefs because I really want them to win. And hopefully I can bring them some good luck. So. No, no, you didn't bring him any good luck. What the luck. hell did you just say? Let's review that actual tout pick from Mike Francesa, who once claimed my picks have value because of his deep relationship and longstanding work with the NFL. Three. So I'm going to take both home teams. I really like the Saints. In the other game, you put a gun to my head, I take the, che- uh, the Pats. I think it's a toss-up. If you put a gun to my head, I take the Pats. Then he says it's a toss-up, meaning there's a fence straddle. Now he's going to take the Chiefs because he wants them. I'm going to pick the Chiefs because I really want them to win. But 
On top of all that, it's a dollop of maybe I bring them some good luck. And hopefully I can bring them some good luck. So, Narrator. Francesa was no luck to the Kansas City Chiefs. As if that wasn't good enough. Mike Francesa saw the photoshopped picture of Gurley ex- purportedly exchanging jerseys with Bill, Bill Vinovich. And he fell for it. This is I gave you the gold. referee's name who ran the group and who said to the pool reporter that it was a judgment call and he wasn't even sure what call they were talking about. If you were the referee of that game and you didn't realize you had a problem on your hands and that is your honest statement, you should be fired. You should never have another jersey, whether you exchange them with players before the game, which should be an outrageous thing to begin with. No way should an official be changing, exchanging jerseys with a player before a game. That sets such a bad, that's such a bad thing to do, number one. Number, number one. two, they have to stay distant from the players. <laughs> he just, God bless. Well, at least he didn't deny that he had gotten got on that, he goes back to the mop it up. Gurley Vinovich picture is not real. That was on posted by Gurley, I guess, but it was not real. Thank God, at least that wasn't true. So they didn't exchange jerseys, which I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Wow, this guy is the most highly paid sports radio only host in America, even after taking a massive pay cut after his ill fated stunt to retire and go somewhere else for even more money than he was making at WFAN. It, it, it just keeps getting better and better. Thank you to Funhouse at back after this, the signature Mike Francesa phrase, uh, for posting these clips off of Mike's $9.99 a month app. I swear to God, Funhouse, I feel like I should be paying you 5 bucks a month for pulling these clips and giving them to us because they are gold, Jerry. They are pure gold. Let's call Andy and see what he's doing. Actually, I think he's getting his body paint ready. Hello. Getting your body paint ready for tonight's Maryland-Michigan State showdown at College Park. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm into it. I don't know if I'll put on body paint, but I'll be watching. Uh, Is it here or there? I'm sorry I don't know that. Oh, it's at Michigan State. That's uh, what I If you were listening this morning to 106.7 The Fan, when oh. Tom Lavera and I filled in for the junkies, you would have heard Chris Naki talking about being there and seven degrees there this morning. Do you want me to hang up on you right now or what? Is this how it's going to be? <laughs> just, you just... shameless whore! <laughs> I love you, Andy. Good plug. Good plug. You got that one in there. No, I was not I listening. Did. I was not listening because I was flying home from Milwaukee. I apologize. But of course, I'll go listen to the podcast to uh, hear all the takes this morning. Were they hot good? Takes, hot takes. Yeah. Were they hot takes? Well, the Terps, no. the Terps are now starting to get their stride. They've moved up into the top 25, and this is a huge test for them. So it's exciting because yeah. really, we haven't had a Maryland team kind of trending this good since when? Well, since they had Diamond Stone and Mellow Trimble a few years ago, and that team was hyped to the moon with uh, people like Jay Billis picking them to win it all, and they flamed out in the Sweet 16. And Mellow Trimble turned out to be not that great. Uh, He had no pro career. Diamond Stone had a pro career that lasted about three games. So uh, that was an overhyped team that – didn't get it done. This one has some real players. Bruno Fernando, who came back for his sophomore year to improve his draft stock, he's he's going to be a high lottery pick. He's got game. And Anthony Cowan is something you don't see too often in college basketball anymore, a junior who's yeah. really, really good. 
I mean, he's, he's playing great. So they've, they've got something. They've got some freshmen who are good, and they've won seven in a row. They're up to number 13 in the country. Michigan State is six. And, you know, it's, it's hard to get your head around this Big Ten thing still for me. Yeah. I mean, I still think of Duke as, as the big rival. But Michigan State, even before Maryland got to the Big Ten, was something of a rival. You know, they had some really big games with them in the oh, tournament yeah. over the years. So yeah. uh, it's it's pretty easy for this to become a rivalry once again. By the way, so Diamond Stone, let's talk about him for a second. He was a kid from Wisconsin that mm-hmm. Maryland kind of stole away at the last second. Some said he didn't have the academics to get into UW. Others said somebody showed up with a bag of money. Whatever the case may be, he was a seven-footer, fairly skilled, had decided early on, I'm a one-and-done college drive-by, and then I'm going to the pros. And he immediately in college started looking like, yeah, he's not that good, but he went pro anyway. And now you said he had a a three-minute career. Was he drafted, do you recall? Yes, I'm actually at my computer now, so I'm looking this up. He was drafted by the Clippers in 2016, played seven games for them, scored – a total of well, he averaged one point four points a game. Okay, so he didn't. Move, I think he's still bouncing around the G League. He but, is. He uh, is in the G League. He uh, he also was on the Pelicans in two thousand sixteen. Uh, they actually they listed Diamond Stone as a second round pick of New Orleans. No, uh, he may have been traded, but he wound up playing seven games okay. for the Clippers. Yeah. Okay, so he's drafted by the Pelicans. It says, or the internet says. Second yeah. round, 40th overall pick. I don't know what money you get for being a second round pick. Probably not a lot. And now yeah, he's with I mean, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers of the G League. Do you in any way feel a little bit sorry for the Diamond Stones of the college basketball world? Sure. I mean, I, I think that they're, they're lured in by something that's not realistic. And he started hearing about the NBA when he was in high school. Guys that size who have that kind of skill, you know, usually are, are trending toward the NBA. The problem is you got to work for it. And the, he came to Maryland with the expectation he was just going to park himself there for a year. They were going to make yeah. the Final Four, and he was going to be a lottery pick, and it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, and, and they're, they're, they're sold a bill of goods, and they're pushed, and they're pulled, and they're managed, and these are still just kids that don't right. know right. what they don't know. I I do feel kind of kind of bad for those kids, even if those kids have some bad qualities of being selfish and give me some money and sort of you know devious at times, they're kids. They're yeah. kids. And there's who usually a, a, a driving force behind them. You mentioned his father. I'm sure there's family people. Hey, it's going to be great when you make it to the NBA. We're all going to live large. Hey, everybody's going to be great. And it doesn't always work out that way. So when I was up there in Wisconsin this weekend, I went to two college games in person, and of course I went two and zero because I'm the Magic Touch. I saw Wisconsin upset number two Michigan, and you know I was I was up there with uh, Drew Olson, and Drew knows all the ins and outs of what's going on. Drew said somebody, I forget this anecdote. It was about Greg Gard, who is now the head coach there at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and somebody asked an NBA scout who was in town to look at somebody, "What do you think of of Coach Gard?" And the NBA scout said, "Yeah, he's all right and everything, but you know, back to back Final Fours." And he had no push, no pop recruiting-wise off of that. I just don't understand it. I think he blew his big chance. It <laughs> turns out the person asking that NBA scout about Greg Gard was this huge, influential university booster. Uh, and God. so and so, Drew was like, man, I, I bet that this, this guy, when he found out, was like, oh, shit, I might have just put a dagger in Greg Gard's back. Because I was just telling this guy my honest opinion. He turned out to be somebody pretty big. The whole thing about who can Wisconsin get, the style of basketball, they they beat Michigan in a siege mentality game because that's what they play. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they are a team that everybody hates to play. My son, who is the biggest Indiana fan that I know, yeah. hates Wisconsin, can't right. stand Wisconsin. He, he spits out their name. He can't stand the way they play. Uh, my daughter, on the other hand, who went to Wisconsin, uh, and I would say, I would say, is much more of a football fan than a, than a basketball fan, uh, likes it. And she also gave you the big thumbs up because I sent her a picture of a tweet you sent out of a place you went after the game. The nitty gritty. Sure, 
I yeah, bet which you're... I'm sure she frequented quite, oh, quite yeah. a bit when she was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was only in there for a hot second, but it was nice to be there. And just what a great college town, the quintessential college town to go oh. to. I mean, they filmed back to school there. How can you beat that, right? Yeah, it's it's. I have been to the University of Texas and the University of Wisconsin. The campuses are pretty much indistinguishable, both in the state capitol as well. Uh, Texas got better weather, but it does seem they know how to party a little bit better oh. than Madison. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no question. So on Sunday, I went and saw Marquette. By the way, both these games were 11 a.m. tips. Yeah, that's how television. No, but how do you like that? I think you, daytime Andy, would love an 11 a.m. tip. Oh, yeah. I, I love it, and, and I, I would definitely fit in there. I liked Central Time when I lived in Texas. I thought that was great. Monday Night Football got over at a reasonable yeah. hour. Yeah, Central Time but, is really a good time zone because it's not too early yeah. like West Coast, but that extra hour makes all the difference. Anyway, so two 11 a.m. tips, and then on, on Sunday I watched Marquette on Dwayne Wade night, which was cool, or mm-hmm. day, Surge past Providence. They did it in part because this kid, Sam Hauser, a 6'8 junior from in-state, Stevens Point, uh, drained a bunch of threes and was pretty much unstoppable. The story with him, apparently, is that his brother was a, pa- was a package deal. That uh, this guy, uh, let's see, uh, Joey's his brother's name, right? And the word was that Wisconsin was in the running, but the dad said, you got to take them both. And Wisconsin's like, well, we really don't have any use for this Joey, you know, the Joey kid. And they're like, nope, sorry, it's a package deal. And Marquette said, sure, we'll take them both. And yep, that, those yep. kind of things happen in college basketball all the time, don't they? Oh, they happen, as, as we know, from our mutual friend Chris Naki, whose career arc would have changed dramatically had he been able to haul in Jerome Williams, who wound up going to Georgetown and playing about 10 years in the NBA. The Junkyard and, Dog was his nickname, Jerome Williams. Yeah, and uh, and Naki had him. He, he recruited him out of junior college, and then the word got out that he was a really good player, and John Thompson at Georgetown and his crew swooped in and, and said, we'll take it from here. We'll and, uh, take it got, from here. <laughs> <laughs> and Naki, trying to save the deal, offered Jerome Williams' brother, who was not a college you know quality player, a scholarship and he said oh yeah that's that's the way these things are done uh obviously it didn't work out that he took it he went to georgetown but that was some way he was trying to preserve the deal that he was going to bring in his brother who was not going to play for him but would would have been on the team yeah package deals favors to coaches whatever is legal or even just on the barely inside the line of legal or whatever you think you can get away with is all fair game in college basketball yeah. All right. Enough of that. Let's go back to Sunday. I I just want to know, what'd you think of Sunday? That was an unbelievable day, top to bottom. Oh, some of the most exciting moments of football. But you know what? The number one takeaway is bad calls. And I know what you're going to say. Hold on. I know exactly I know. what you're going to say. All right. Calls. You say plural. Tell me what's the other bad call besides the one in the Saints game. Well, I mean, you had a call on Tom Brady for roughing the passer, where it was yeah. you know a phantom wave in front of his face. That was a I bad. Mean, there one. were, yeah, and and well, uh, it wasn't a phantom wave. It was a downward chop that caught his shoulder. Okay, that's roughing the passer. Well, I hate it. I'm not defending like that missed call when you're Cleet Blakeman standing behind the play mm-hmm. and looking at it. Uh, it, it's easy to sort of say, okay, he kind of missed it on the angle. It was very close. Okay, fine. Yeah. That's one. All right. What All right. else? Now, I, and I don't think this evens it out. I'm sorry. I know people are going to say that it does, but the face mask that they missed on Jared Goff, that was blatant. His head got completely turned around. Nobody saw that. And that was, you know, before the pass interference call that should have been called that was not called. Now, I was, and, in, I was in a bar at the time. I think the face mask you're referring to, I thought I saw it as a glancing grab, no, not a blatant no. one. Okay. No, no. His, his head got turned, so there was that. And um, there were, yeah, I'm sure there were a couple others that don't don't come to mind. Okay, but so it, your take is what? Is 
they have to, I know you're not going to agree with this, but they have to find a way to make better use of instant replay. Oh, and oh, I oh, sent Charlie oh, Casserly a direct message. Now, Charlie was on the competition committee hey, when instant that. replay came back in the 90s. If you recall, they did away with it for about six or seven years. Yes. And in 1998, there were a number of really bad calls that were made. One cost the Jets a chance to win a game, and you know everything gets magnified in New York. So the momentum was there to bring it back. And I said, was it ever under discussion that you could challenge a pass interference call? And he said, the votes just never have been there. And these things, he said, sometimes tend to die out so that, you know, there's great hue and cry for it now. Maybe when they get around to discussing this in the spring, it won't be there. But he said he was always in favor of being able to challenge pass interference. And hasn't Bill Belichick said that everything should be challengeable? I don't Didn't know. Did he say that? I don't know if he said that or not. So let's let's go down. You know, people like you and others want to press mm-hmm. further into the jungle. People like me are saying, turn around, we're, we're too deep in the jungle already, I don't like it in here. So we're going to yeah. press deeper into the jungle, Apocalypse Now style. Tell me what you would propose as to what is reviewable regarding PI. Well, I think that when you have a situation where you have a team, let's say inside the, the red zone like that, and everybody in the stadium has seen this, yeah. that there's got to be a way that a coach can get the attention of the lead official and say, you really got to huddle up on this because one of your crew probably saw this. You know, this, this happens in baseball all the time. The home plate umpire makes this huge mistake, and he doesn't conference any of the uh, that base is, umpires. That is true. NFL refs don't tend to huddle up after yeah. plays to go, okay, hold on a second. Okay, so so you're saying you want huddling up, but how do you want to use replay on in, on on PI? Tell me exactly how. You you have to be able to let's say maybe it's one of those things where you have one PI challenge a game. But okay. just, you have a, you have a, you have another colored flag, like you have a purple flag, green for <laughs> purple. Yeah, whatever it is, black flag. Just but, okay. But here, the, look, say the intent of replay is to prevent a team that doesn't deserve to win from winning. Right. And we have now, in my mind, a pretty clear case of a Saints team that should have been going to the Super Bowl and is not. Sure. No, you're right. This was was a car crash that happened. And so now people want to retrofit the automobile that is the NFL, which already has airbags, side airbags, pre-collision avoidance. It's got a lot of stuff in there to prevent this. They want another layer of how do we keep a fatal car crash of an error from happening. Here's my question. So if you give every coach one black flag PI challenge and they Mm -hmm. know to guard that jealously just in case it comes up, what happens when they've already spent that challenge? And what happens if they spent the challenge and they were correct in the challenge and now the game comes down to it, and you have another bad P.I. call. Okay, well, if you're correct, you get to use that challenge again. All right, well, let's say you challenged the first one. They didn't agree with you. You've now lost your black flag, and this exact play happens again. Then what? Yeah, well, I mean, then then you're going to have this situation. But No, 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 hold on, hold on. Then I what? know, I know. Because here, here, I don't have all the answers, I know. but here's, I do know this. Here, if I'm a, living in New Orleans today, I'm out of my mind with anger. Of course you are. Now, here's the question. Under your scenario, and I think a lot of people would have been like, yeah, that's kind of reasonable. You have to ask yourself the question, what is the point of giving teams and coaches one black flag PI only review? Is it to allow smart teams who are reserved in their use of it, a backstop at the end of games against an egregious P.I. call? Or, yeah. it, or, or or is the point of replaying P.I. to make sure that games are more perfect? Meaning, it's not so much to reward a team that's smart and doesn't waste their black flag on a P.I. that doesn't matter in the second quarter. It's we don't want games marred by obvious ba- bad calls because if it's the latter, you don't want to put any limits on coaches being able to challenge P.I. 
No, no, you, you can't have a perfect game. And the P.I. call is only one of the calls that should have been made on that. That's a helmet-to-helmet hit, which doesn't seem to be called anymore. Remember also, remember the, uh, the leading with the head in the preseason on runs? Oh, oh yeah. It's going to ruin the game. I think it was called once this year. <laughs> well, and remember, so, and remember all the ticky tack uh, roughing the passer calls, which, except for the Brady play, basically was not called in this game yeah. or or, or yeah, this that, weekend. Like they called it so differently for the first couple of months, and then they or first month, and then they just went away from it. Yeah. So, yeah. so okay. there's, there's no consistency. Uh, you know, again, I think that the big thing is is that the wrong team shouldn't win a game. And in this case, I believe the wrong team won. Now it's possible, look, uh, th- there could be a fumble and the Rams could get the ball back even when uh, if there would have been P.I. called there. They could kick a field goal sure. there and the Rams miraculously get down the field and kick one of their own and there's overtime. Yeah. All those things could happen. But this one was so – This I can't remember anything that's close to this other than the Don Deckinger play in the World Series in 1985, okay. so which, this, which kept the Kansas City alive. This yeah. now brings me to the essential question. You as a good journalist, Andy, know the big J – you know the big W questions in journalism for a big J journalist, yes. who, what, where, when, why, how. The most important Correct. question always in anything is why. Why – did two referees looking right at this play miss that call? I don't know. And I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I think I some a, of it. I have a theory. I, I think, and I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to tend to agree with you a little bit. I don't, I I don't know. I don't know is, if you do know what I'm going to say, but I'm now well, curious. But, <laughs> okay, but, go but ahead. What I, what I think is, is because we have replay, referees are so afraid to call anything anymore. You know, they, they, they just kind of leave it up to replay on things. And but they, on, that, what, it, on that, they knew that replay couldn't bail them out because they know that's, that's not a reviewable call. But okay, you're right. They are but more hesitant. The reflexes aren't, aren't there. Also, it was the kind of game where they were letting them play. There was a lot of things that they let go, which fans want. But when there is something like that, you cannot hide your head in the sand and say nothing happened there. There were two egregious plays there, yep. targeting uh, the helmet-to-helmet right, right. And, and pass interference. You, you are right in that repl- uh, That officials have become gun-shy with replay. They, they, yep. have, they have gotten trigger lock on calling plays because as a guy who was an official once, basketball, high school, high school basketball and intramural basketball hey how about that right hey, how about that? <laughs> yeah, right. but at least i've you earned your stripes <laughs> I, i've at least made calls in a sporting event and the biggest thing that every referee supervisor tells you is you have to be authoritative you have to see it you have to know it and you have to call it and you have to be confident and you're going to blow some but you have to be confident. So I think you're right. I think these guys got trigger locked because their senses of confidence, and I saw it, I know it, that's P.I., here's a flag, I'm not worried about it. That has now become corrupted by the very thing, replay, that was supposed to make the game better. My other theory is this. These referees were aware that if they threw their flag, the game was over. And these referees are aware that the one thing the fans and the media hates is when, quote, referees decide the game. Am I right? Yeah, okay. Okay. I can can see that, So here's the way they were thinking on that play. If it's close, if it's 50-50, I'd rather be on the side of, hey, I'm not deciding the game here. The Saints are still in a strong position to win. And this would be the best outcome to avoid any wrath on our part to not call that play because they knew a flag ended the game. And guess what? If that pass is a little bit late, if the contact is a little, a beat or two after the ball goes sailing by, then that flag becomes the worst call in football history the other direction. Okay. That's that's my theory. I don't know. I don't know if they had the time to think of all that because it was bang bang. But they yeah, had it. They had could... it in their head. Just watching the game, these referees are smart. They know football. They understand how things work. They're very. They know. Pi first and goal. New set of downs, 
and they're looking up at the clock and they're going, this would end the game. So yeah. I think uh-huh. I think that might be it. I don't buy into this. They wanted their golden boy coach and their major market in the Super Bowl. No, no, I don't. I don't see that either. I, I don't. I don't think that was the case. Though it's pretty good for business to have Los Angeles in the Super Bowl. Well, sure. Like I think I think the NFL got the worst product they could get out of this Final Four. Their preferred product would have been a rematch of the high-scoring Joe Tessator orgasmic Rams-Chiefs <laughs> game in a dome with two weeks to heal up. Don't you think that would have been their preferred product? I mean, you get the Patriots now, a team that only New Englanders love, everyone else hates, yeah. were bored to tears by them. This was a bad product for them. And L.A., they don't care about the Rams. Ticket sales, I bet, are going to be very soft because Ram fans are not going to travel. There's not a huge base of them at this point. Patriot fans are broke from going to go all these goddamn Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah, so so I think I, I think you and I can agree that basically we that any notion of the NFL having their thumb on the scale is ludicrous. Yeah, and and I, I also think that having Brady in the Super Bowl is good for business for the NFL because it's familiar. I think there's there's something to you don't think Mahomes knowing. you don't think Mahomes in there would have been exciting. Well, it wouldn't be exciting, but but again, the Super Bowl attracts a different audience than the rest of the NFL season. There's so a you, lot of people who watch one football game a year, and that's the Super Bowl. So you think Brady greater sign Mahomes as an attraction? Yes, yes, because more people are familiar with them outside the sports world. I don't know about that. Uh, Andy Reid, the coach who steps on rakes. One yeah, point I, I forgot. Mean, one point I forgot to make yesterday was that they're in overtime. Brady yeah. is marching down the field. He's going through them like Sherman through the city of Atlanta. Yep. It's overtime, and I actually had this discussion at the bar where I was watching the game. Someone said, "Why don't they just turn the clock off in overtime?" And I started to say, "Well, you see, they might." And I go. You're right. There's no reason to have a game clock in overtime because there is no double overtime in the NFL, correct? Yes, there is. In a, in a playoff game, there is. So so they reset and flip a coin? Yeah. yeah. They, okay. it, it's, a new, it's a new start. Okay. When, okay. With that, and this happened to the Chiefs. I was watching that game in 1971 when they went to double overtime. Okay, well, in overtime, even with that double overtime looming, perhaps, his defense mm-hmm. is gassed. They needed to take a timeout. And Romo said that. I mean, did you have sound on, by the way, when yes. you were watching this game? Yeah, Romo, Romo was Romo brilliant. Was, Romo was brilliant. otherworldly. He was amazing. But oh, how yeah. does Andy Reid not take a timeout? I would have taken a timeout on three consecutive plays, if needed, to just throw the anchor down to try to do anything to stop Brady from doing this. This is what he did against Atlanta in overtime. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. I, I, I don't, I don't understand why, he didn't, especially when they got to the five yard line. He's sitting there with three timeouts in his pocket, and he just stands there. And you could I mean, at least see give yourself a chance. You could see his defense just gassed, yeah. like you couldn't believe. Uh-huh. And of course, some people on Twitter, it wouldn't have made any difference. Well, we'll never know now. But good take, good take that give you can see the future. Yeah, just give it a shot. Andy Reid is now two and six in championship games, AFC and NFC. It's just, it's unfortunately who he is, the man who steps on rakes in the biggest games out there. Yes, but but realize, you know, losing to the Patriots is, you know, it's it's kind of like when oh, Michael Jordan... come on! No, really. It's, it's <laughs> it, I remember when Jordan was playing with the Bulls before his unfortunate comeback with the Wizards. Yeah. And... Pat Riley, after, you know, they, there was one game in that series when Miami was playing the Bulls where Jordan spent the day playing like 40 holes of golf. I mean, he was like, like you know, uh, uh, he completely spent, he, sh- he shot like one for 20 in the first half and somehow came back to win that game. And Pat Riley said, you know what? As long as Michael Jordan's in the league, nobody else is going to win a championship. It's not quite that with the Patriots, but... Look at it this way. This is Tom Brady's 18th year. He missed a full, almost a full year because of the knee injury. It's his ninth time in the Super Bowl. He's in the Super Bowl every other year. It's there unbelievable. Are te- 
There are teenagers who have grown up in the New England area who think a bad year is either losing in the Super Bowl or not making it. It, it, it's it's unbelievable what they have done. And, and in an era where it's impossible to do it because of the salary cap, where you can't hang on to players, they've somehow managed to do it with one quarterback and one coach. It's, it's, it's un, unbelievable. He is the goat of goats. It's truly absurd, and it's mind-boggling what he's doing. I get, My respect just grows and grows, and I'm not particularly a fan. Real quick, do you think they should change once again the rules of overtime so that both teams get to play with the ball at least once? Absolutely not, and I hate the new overtime rules where each team gets to touch the ball. Play defense. That's half the game. If you lose the flip, stop them. And yes, I've heard a lot of crying about that today. I hate that, and the college rules for overtime, they really stink. You play a football game, and then you're supposed to play three sets of tennis to decide the game. Ridiculous. I think they should go back to the old way I agree. where if you kick a field goal, you're done, and so what? That's, that's life. That's the luck right. of the coin flip. Right. And by the way, it's a, it was only 54% for the teams that yep. won the flip when they would go down and score. Yep. And if, if you play a little defense and you stop them, then you can get the ball back and you can kick the field goal and win the game. This, this, it's, a, it's a participation <laughs> trophy mentality that permeates sports. Oh, everybody's got to get a fair chance. No, you don't. Play some defense. Make I have, a stop. I have read some otherwise sensible, supposedly smart people, many of whom I respect, and now I've kind of taken them down a notch, suggesting some of the most insane and or childish things I've ever heard, including they should play another full 15 minutes, no sudden death, mm. and if it's still tied after that, play another 15 minutes. And I'm saying to myself, are you fucking out of your mind to play another 15 minutes of brutal football in 20-degree weather? You're crazy. Mm. Why? It's nuts. Yeah. So, you know who jumped right. on this? Who? Kirk Cousins. Did you see this? No. Yeah. No. Check what? Kirk Cousins' Twitter feed. He's, he, he, says, he says, well, you know, I understand why they have this rule uh, like in the regular season, but what about in championship games? Well, A, Kirk, you don't know anything about championship <laughs> games since you never played in one. You'll not have to worry. And B, if you were in an overtime game and it was cold, you had you know multiple heaters and different kinds of equipment to keep you warm on the sidelines. The poor schmo sitting up in the stands doesn't want to sit through more of that. Exactly. They want to, the, the the famous. It didn't go to overtime, but the famous ice bowl when the Packers could have kicked a field goal to send the game into overtime against the Cowboys. There was a timeout where Bart Starr and Vince Lombardi met on the sidelines and. Bart Starr said, I think I can take it in. Let's go for it. He said, run the play, and let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, because they and were that, dying. That, yeah, they were dying yeah. on the sidelines. You're right. Okay, so um, a lot of people don't like the arbitrariness of the coin flip. I have a suggestion that would both keep it as pure overtime, which is what you and I want, and also take out the coin flip because some people think it's too arbitrary and, and not sporting. You ready for my idea? Is this a reprise of the XFL where they have a scrum for the ball? No. No, this is <laughs> this is a this is a very simple concept and it's taken right from the rules of baseball. You ready? Okay. Home team gets it first in Ooh. overtime. It's the exact same concept as having the last at bat in baseball. That's an advantage, right? Yeah, and and also it's what you earn in the NFL that's when you play the regular season. Right. That's not bad. No. That's all it takes. Then we could go back to pure overtime and not have all these fakakta rules about you could touch it, I can touch it, field goal, field goal, yeah. then da, 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 da. But I'm sure somebody would complain about that as well. Hell of a two games. Unbelievable. Who do you like in the Super Bowl? The Rams are one-point favorites or maybe pick them. Because the line opened like one and a half, and it has sagged quickly towards the Patriots. Who do you like? Early lean. Yeah, it's I, just I, a lean. I, I think just that the, 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 the Patriots are going to find a way to win. I mean, I know the, the story of the week is going to be Sean McVay, and everybody's going to love him and say, oh, look at this old grump Belichick. But 
in the end, the old grump is going to find a way to beat the kid uh, one more time. I, wow. I think I think Sean McVay is a hell of a coach, and I think he's going to be back in the Super Bowl soon, maybe even next year. But I think uh, I think the Patriots win one more. Uh, Patriots are now minus two and a half, two and a half, one and a half, two and a half, one and a half, two, two, two. Mm-hmm. I could have sworn I'm going to have to look this up. I think. I think the Rams open minus one. It may have crossed the Rubicon. It's now New England minus two and a half. Wow, that's something else. Real quick before we uh, say goodbye today, um, there's a story by Jason Locke and Fora over the weekend about the Redskins in which <laughs> in which allegedly Dan Snyder was the one pushing for and actually interviewing certain assistant coaches like Todd Bowles despite the contentment by Jay that he had his guys and he didn't want to change any of his guys. Two questions. One, do you believe that Lockenfora has the story nailed because he has missed on some big ones lately? And number two, what does this say about the current state of our beloved Burgundy and Gold? Well, that in over 20 years of ownership, Dan Snyder hasn't changed a bit. And uh, this, I don't know if he, he Lock and Forer mentioned any other coaches, but Bowles, I think he said that there was a, a meeting that was set up with Greg Williams, but it didn't happen because he wound up signing with the Jets. Sure. But uh, the, 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 the Bowles thing, I, I 100% believe that he brought him in there and he talked to him. And according to what Lock and Forer is reporting, that he was offering him any amount of money that he wanted, made, would have made him the highest paid defensive coordinator in the league, and even went so far as to say, you can have another job if you want it, even head coach. And that's just Dan being Dan. Uh, you know, if true. may be wrong. If but it, true. It, it sounds, yeah. If true. But it, it, sounds, it sounds perfectly logical. Doesn't it sound logical to you? It does. I, I only hesitate because I believe Lock and Fora had John Harbaugh being fired during the bye week in Baltimore. Yeah, well, Whoops. I mean those those things those things happen, and 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 then he I think he also had I don't know if he was the one, but when the Ravens floated the idea of an extension for Harbaugh, there was uh, it was done in a way to try and create a trade partner with Denver to see if they could get something done there. Right. But uh, you know, Chase is pretty well connected. Did cover the Redskins for for quite a period of time with the Post. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, the story, the story sounds 1000% plausible. It sounds entirely right. And if that's the case, we're still fucked. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he's, if, if this is Snyder's response to how the fans feel, you know, think of what his next move might be. Yeah. He's sensing that for some reason they really want Todd Bowles. Well, I don't think anybody was really clamoring that much for Todd Bowles that that, that was going to make that much of a difference. But he had to jump in the fray and try and get him in here to to satisfy an angry fan base. Is that how he's going to do it? <laughs> I, I I am very dubious of anyone who claims a coordinator A is a upgrade over coordinator B. All these coordinators get passed around. They're good in some cities, they're not good in others. Unless you're talking about a guy like Dick LeBeau who's been around forever and has like proven track records. These coordinators are interchangeable, and they're only as good as their players. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Greg Williams did a very good job when he was here um, because the Joe Gibbs offenses were pretty, you know, 80-ish. But did, he, you know, uh, he, did you know if you look at Greg Williams' rankings defensively while he was here, it, it was like 4th, 5th, 8th, 32nd, and then 8th again. One year... It fell off the table. That well, shows you how it, arbitrary it can be sometimes. Yeah, you, and you get injuries, but that I think that was the first year of the Al Saunders seven hundred page playbook. Might have been, and uh, <laughs> and I think that the offense was a dysfunctional mess. And so when your offense is turning over the ball and going three and out and all the time, your defense isn't going to look very good. Yeah. All right, Andy. Enjoy Terps tonight at home in front of the television. Good luck to your uh, your turtles, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, Dave. Thanks. Couple nuggets to end on today. First of all, thank you to an emailer who who found the game I was talking about. That would be the Panthers beating the Patriots after controversial call on final play. It was 2013. So it was not the Super Bowl year for the Panthers and Cam. I can't believe it's five years ago plus. Jesus. Seems like it was yesterday.
What happened was, with zeros on the clock, an end zone pass by Tom Brady, trailing in the game, intended for Rob Gronkowski, fell into the arms of a Panthers defender. It was short. Gronk, though, had been bear-hugged by linebacker Luke Keekley. A flag was thrown, and it was on the ground, and the referees huddled up and picked it up and said there is no penalty. Blakeman said uh, it was because that the ball was not catchable. It was underthrown. Others would say, well, yeah, it was underthrown because Gronk didn't have a chance to plant and come back to the ball. Keekley was bear-hugged tackling him out of the end zone. After the game, Belichick was just total flatline. In fact, here's a sampling of what he sounded like afterwards as he got asked over and over again what happened. There's no explanation given to me. None whatsoever. No. Officials ran off the field and I, I didn't see anything. Been through that before. Last time I tried to ask an official a question about a call that was, you know, the wrong thing to do, so I have no idea. Like I said, we've been down that road before. Didn't get one tonight, didn't get one at the Baltimore game. Guess that's the way we do it. Just a lot of staring from Belichick and a lot of lip smacking there and a few questions interspersed. Granted, week seven week seven game, I want to say. It's a November game. Big difference in terms of the stakes, but that's Belichick. That's understanding I can't change anything, so I'm not going to lose my mind over it. Jerry Kelly got the break of a lifetime at the Mitsubishi Electric Championship in Hawaii. Sitting at one under through six holes in this final round and 10 under overall, Kelly fanned his second shot well right of the par five seventh hole at the Hualalai Golf Course. Even uttered a brief fleeting expletive as the ball was heading wayward. Here you go. Watch this. I saw this on my monitor a minute ago now. Watch this. Jerry Kelly, second shot oh. at here is the definition of a good break. Now watch this. Into the lava once, twice, cart path, off the guy, and onto the green. So an eagle putt for Jerry Kelly. Oh, I'm just another eagle putt for Kelly. Oh, are you kidding me? All set up by the second shot, which was a huge slice into the lava. <laughs> That's just so great. Now, I don't know if it really hit the guy standing there, but it definitely bounced twice in a huge field of lava rocks where it could go any which direction. It went twice towards the green and then off the cart path and then off a dude, I think, maybe. Onto the green for eagle. For those that don't golf, there is side bets usually in friendly foursomes on the weekend, in which if you make a ball, if you make a par off of a tree, it's called a barky. If you make a par having bounced one off the cart path, it could be called a carty. There's also Cousteau's, where you hit a ball in the water and scramble to get up and down for par. Get it, Cousteau? So Jerry Kelly hit two lava rocks, a cart path, and a dude, and made not par, not birdie, not, but, not, but eagle. So that'd be like seven slices of cheese, as I like to say. Big League Chew is now selling pouches with girls on the pouch. Aww. The stringy, shredded-up bubblegum that can be found in almost every Little League dugout in America has launched its first-ever softball line featuring new girl-friendly packaging. Isn't that sweet? The Ford Gum and Machine Company, which announced the move last fall, plans to send out shipments in the coming weeks as it prepares for the line's retail debut. Why not? Let girls that play softball jam their mouth full of sugar-laden 
low-quality bubble gum and pretend like they're actually dipping instead. Last piece of audio for today. Adrian Broner got beaten soundly this weekend by Manny Pacquiao. He didn't think he lost the fight. Everyone else who watched the fight who didn't fall asleep because it was such a terrible, boring fight said, yeah, dude, you lost the fight. Here is Adrian Broner with Jim Gray after the fight. What did you think about the fight? What you, I beat him. Everybody out there know I beat him. Everybody out there know I beat him. I controlled the fight. He was missing. I hit him clean more times. I beat him. You averaged eight punches. Less than eight punches was the most punches that you had in the round, and it seemed as though you couldn't get it close enough. Like, it already sounded like you was against me. So I already ain't, I already, I already ain't got a fair fact. shake talking to you. But let me talk something. Let me let y'all know. I want to <laughs> thank the whole hood who came out here. I love y'all. I did this for the hood. Y'all know I beat that boy. Y'all know I beat that boy. They trying to, what they trying to do is they trying to get that money again with Pacquiao and um, Floyd. But it's cool. I ain't worrying about it. I'm still that nigga. I'm on top. Cincinnati, stand up. West side. Two, five. You're three, three, and one in your last seven fights. What will you do next? Hey, I'm three, three, and one in my last seven, but I'll be seven, no against you. Well, that wouldn't mean much. That's the end of this interview. <laughs> Jim Gray's the best there. We mocked Jim Gray for his awkwardness, his weaseliness, his hair plugsness. But in a way, this is what he was made for. What a great line. Well, yeah, that wouldn't mean much being seven and oh against me. Adrian Broder. You lost the fight, but you won the post-fight interview. Well done, my friend. Stay delusional, as we like to say. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Download, subscribe. Get the Zabecast app. It's free and very handy. It just loads all the episodes here. Subscribe to the premium edition, zabe.com slash premium. I'll make it worth your while. Podcasts are like Netflix for your ears. Listen to them whenever you've got time. Email me with topics and suggestions at zabe at yahoo.com. Now get on out there, do your best, live your best life, life hack yourself, and we will see you next time.